Live Exchange is the major event for the livestock export industry, and it's being held this year in Darwin on the 10th and 11th of November. Open to all members of the supply chain, the conference program features thought-provoking and informative speakers, trade exhibits, and social events. It's a great opportunity to find out more about live exports, and registrations are now open. Visit liveexchange.com.au to get your tickets. Central Station Podcast, where we bring you stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. My name is Steph Coombs and this is my story, Woulda, Coulda, Shoulda. If I had a dollar for each time someone has said something to me along the lines of, that's so cool, I wish I could do that, I'd probably be able to afford to buy myself a station. Or at the very least, a new Land Cruiser. Okay, maybe a Hilux. When I first moved from Australia to America, I swear I was having the same conversation with every second person I was meeting. Someone would ask me about something I'd done or was about to do and would tell me how they wish they could do the same or something different, but just as far-fetched. I would suggest that they have a crack at it, but they would end up giving me the same excuses as to why they couldn't. This wasn't just a common occurrence in the United States. I've experienced it all over the world. I have, in my opinion, done a lot of cool stuff in my short 29 years. As I mentioned in one of my blogs from last year, I don't think that what I've done makes me better or worse off than anyone else. It's all just a part of my story as Steph. Plus, what is considered cool is completely subjective and lies in the eye of the beholder. Our stories are what we make them, And while mine looks like that of a nomadic gypsy wandering the globe, it's not necessarily better than someone who has spent their entire life in one place. But back to the cool stuff. People often ask me how I've done what I've done. So here it is. Step one, work hard, ask for what you want, and then work harder. Step two, Use your initiative and don't ever, ever think that something isn't a possibility. If the opportunity isn't there, then it's up to you to carve it out. If that door isn't open, then find a window, air vent, or a doggy door. Step three, chase what you want and hustle hard. I don't think any job I've had or anything I've done has come from responding to an advertisement. I've made a lot of things happen on my own. Don't underestimate persistence, hard work, and good old-fashioned stalking. 
within legal limitations, of course. One time when someone was asking me how I'd managed to have so many neat experiences, I had a rare moment where I said something that actually inspired me, even though it was meant to inspire them. I said, if you don't like the cards you've been dealt, then reshuffle the deck. I know, right? I felt pretty dang clever as soon as that line rolled off my tongue. I should probably explain while so many people think it's fascinating that I've had some of the experiences that I have. I grew up in the suburbs of Perth. I don't have any farming family, and I'd never worked with livestock until my first year of university. I rode horses growing up, but it was in the English discipline, and the closest I came to farm work was riding around the stables on a quad bike with a bale of hay on the back. My friends and I thought it was so cool. Fast forward 10 or so years, and even I can admit that I've done some cool stuff. I've worked on live export vessels, done work experience at feedlots and abattoirs in Indonesia, had meetings with state and federal politicians, worked for industry lobby groups, lived in Canada and the United States, and photographed some of the biggest professional rodeos in the United States and a runway show at New York Fashion Week. I can freely admit that sometimes there has been a bit of luck involved. Some people describe luck as preparation meeting opportunity, and I think it's important to recognise that we aren't just talking about opportunity here. And I think it's important to recognise that we aren't just talking about opportunity here. We are all presented with opportunities every single day. Do we use all of them to our advantage? No. Why? Because not all of them are relevant to us. But what about the ones that are? Is it because we aren't prepared? So, how can we make our own luck? How can we be prepared for the opportunities that may come our way or create our own? This is my advice. Number one, seek out mentors. The first memory I have of actively seeking out a mentor was when I was doing the live export onboard stockman course in 2011. A man by the name of Boyd Holden was delivering the sessions on animal welfare and livestock handling. He worked in other countries delivering training and education to the people who handled Australian livestock. I didn't even know this job existed, but I knew I wanted to do it. After the livestock handling session, everyone was on the bus heading back to the hotel, and I walked right up and sat behind Boyd. I can remember it so clearly. I introduced myself and asked how we got to where he was. Boyd mentioned a few things and I was like, no, no, like break it down for me. You did a rural science degree at university and now you work in Indonesia in the Middle East. How did you get there? Like, what should I do? Boyd said if I was really keen, I could accompany him to a livestock handling school he was delivering in the Pilbara in a couple of months time, which I committed to right there and then. In the years that have followed, Boyd has continuously mentored me in animal welfare and livestock handling, and even counselled me through really difficult situations where I found myself working with people whose livestock handling skills definitely lacked something to be desired, even when I've been on the other side of the world. Poor Boydie probably had no idea what he was getting himself into when I sat behind him on the bus that day. That was eight years ago, and he still hasn't been able to shake me. I've got a small group of amazing people who have become mentors in different areas of my life. Livestock handling, animal welfare, leadership, cattle production, extension, photography, you name it. And if I care about it and want to grow in it, 
I found a mentor for it. It's important to recognize that a mentorship isn't a one-way relationship. It's not just about what a mentor can give you or what you can get from them. There's a difference between receiving mentorship and just using someone for your own gain. Don't expect someone to give you all the answers and hold your hand each step of the way. You need to bring something to the party and give back. Point number two, ask. They can only say no. During uni, if I was running late to a lecture, I would absolutely not walk into the class once it had started. Talk about an anxiety attack. I sure as hell wouldn't dare contact a person and ask them for advice or ask to work with them. I mean, what if they said no? Nobody likes rejection. Surely I would die from embarrassment. How mortifying. Fast forward and now I have no issue walking up to anyone, introducing myself and asking for an opportunity to spend time together in the relevant capacity. Although sometimes I really do have to psych myself up. The same goes for cold calls. Cold calls are my specialty. In early 2015, when I'd barely been in America for a month, I googled J.D. Hudgens Brahmin Stud in Texas. I'd heard heaps about them. They're basically the royal family of Brahmins, and I really wanted to go and visit and maybe work with them. So I made a call and asked if I could come and visit for a few days, offering to work in with whatever they were doing and help out. I ended up visiting a few times over the next couple of months and working for the company before returning to Australia. I had some pretty epic experiences and made amazing friends and consider the locks as family. Asking for opportunities is something I've ended up doing a lot. I once met someone who knew Dan James from Double Dan Horsemanship, so I asked if they would pass on his contact details. I remember sitting on my bedroom floor in Wyoming trying to psych myself up before the call. I was so nervous. Dan James is such an accomplished horseman. But I hit dial and two weeks later, I was driving from Wyoming to Kentucky to spend 10 days at the Australian Equine Performance Centre. Oh, and how did I come to be in Wyoming? By making another one of those cold calls the year before and asking if I could come and visit and see how they did things on their ranch. That phone call led to a few visits before I ended up working on that ranch. I could actually spend all day recounting the times I've done this. It's kind of my MO. You know what? Sometimes people will say no. The timing might not be right, or they just aren't interested in spending time with you because they don't know how awesome you are. But really, is someone saying no really the end of the world? The old Steph would have felt shame and rejection and even quit the idea right then and there. Now, if someone says no, I thank them for their time and go back to the drawing board to figure out how else I can make the opportunity come about. When I think back on the times people have said no, I realise they were just making way for better opportunities to come my way. Point three, be prepared to work for free and at your own expense. You know how I said that I've photographed some of the biggest rodeos in North America? The Calgary Stampede, National Finals Rodeo, PBR World Finals, Rodeo Houston, the World Championship of Timed Events? Do you want to know a secret? Not a single one of those was a paying gig. Not only did I not get paid, I had to pay my own way with regards to fuel, flights, accommodation, meals, taxis, and the like. 
Remember how I said Boyd had invited me to shadow him at a livestock handling school in the Pilbara? Yes, he invited me, but I was responsible for getting myself to Port Hedland, which meant paying for my flights. In 2012, I did another one of those cold calls and asked an Aussie living in Indonesia if I could come and spend time in their feedlot and abattoirs. They graciously accepted my request, and before I knew it, I was booking more flights. To go visit Dan James in Kentucky, I reckon I spent about $500 on fuel and lost two weeks of wages, which, you know, at the time I was only making like $1,300 a month. But mate, I got to watch Dan James and his staff train horses. I got to ride with them. I got to photograph them. Yes, I've spent a lot of money to facilitate opportunities. Would I change a thing? Hell no. A lot of the time I did this because I understood that I was seeking a learning opportunity and the opportunity itself was more valuable to me than a wage. There comes a time where you'll be able to provide enough value that you will no longer work for free and that time is different for everyone. I now no longer photograph rodeos for free but that's because I have enough experience to deliver a valuable product to my clients and a killer portfolio to show what I can do. I suppose the moral of the story though, is to weigh up the costs and benefits and decide what is right for you. Point four, invest in education. This is fairly self-explanatory and comes back to being prepared for when opportunities come around. Yes, by all means, contact people, seek out mentors, learn from others, but you need to do your own learning too. Read, watch, interview, Google, whatever suits you, It doesn't have to be formal education, but that is definitely an option. I have people ask me questions about photography all the time, and I'm happy to answer them. However, at some stage, you have to go and do some research yourself instead of just expecting somebody else to feed you all the answers. Problem solving can be daunting, but you'll be so much better off for it. Point five. Don't play by somebody else's rules. Okay, how do I explain this on without it turning into an essay? Have you ever heard of social constructs? A social construct is something that exists not in objective reality, but as a result of human interaction. It exists because humans agreed that it, that it exists. So basically, all of our social norms and rules are made up. Think about it. Here's an example that I've just got from Google. Countries are social constructs. Countries would not exist if it were not for human interaction. Humans have to agree that there is such a thing as a country and we agree on what a country is. Without that agreement, there would be no countries. So what I'm trying to say is that all these rules that govern our lives are made up. Yes, some of them are for good reasons and pretty helpful, but so many of them are prohibitive and constrictive. After spending two years attending a number of the biggest professional rodeos in America and Canada, and even two New York Fashion Week runway shows, as an editorial photographer, I found that sometimes it's the case of, it's not what you know, but who you know. I used to wonder from time to time if I'd done something wrong by jumping the queue and not spending years and years perfecting my technique at some small-time rodeos, earning my dues. The first radio I ever photographed was a televised PBR event, for Christ's sake. I got there because a friend of mine worked in rodeo media and let me apply for credentials under his business. I mean, if that's not jumping the queue, then I don't know what is. But 
I reckon life is too short and sometimes you've just got to take the opportunity right in front of you, even if you haven't gotten there the right way. Don't let somebody else's rules get in your way. Of course, I recommend sticking to the big rules, aka the law, but everything else is fair game. Point six, just do it. You might only get one chance. In 2017, I was working on a ranch in Wyoming. Even though I'd been riding horses since I was six, I'd never actually started or trained a young horse before and jumped at the opportunity to do so. I ended up with a tricky young man and made a lot of phone calls and sent videos over Facebook Messenger to a horse trainer I knew from back home in Australia. I was so appreciative of his guidance from the other side of the world and said to him, When I get back to Australia, I'm going to come and work for you for free when you do your run of station horsemanship schools. I'll help drive the truck, tack up your horses and bring you beers if you let me watch and learn from you. When I returned to Australia, I did get back in touch with him about coming on the station school run. However, I ended up freaking out about being in my late 20s and not having a real job or some completely arbitrary amount of money in the bank, and as a result, I took a temporary job up north. The job was okay for a while, but I wasn't happy there and I knew it was time to leave. I knew that it was better for me to go and swag it at friend stations while looking for the next opportunity than to stay in a place where I was unhappy just so I could receive a paycheck. On my last day of work, I found out that the horse trainer I'd planned to work with had passed away in a car accident. Needless to say, I was gutted. Gutted to lose a mate and a mentor, and gutted to realise that my own short-sightedness and the pressures I'd put on myself to have X by age Y meant that I would never get the opportunity to do something I really wanted to do with this particular person. We only get one go-round in life. The chances you get today may not be here tomorrow, so make the most of them while you still can. All I can say is, have a crack. As Mark Twain so famously said, 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did. So, throw off the bowlines, sail away from the safe harbour. Charles Darwin University's Agricultural and Rural Operations team focuses on North Australian production and business systems, offering current real-world knowledge and experience by delivering both full qualifications and industry-required short courses. Courses at the rural campus are designed to develop the skills required for work on a North Australian beef cattle property or in the top-end agricultural industry, while providing a sound knowledge base in the pastoral and or agricultural industries. They have dedicated staff who specialise in workplace training and assessment and recognition of prior learning. They will come to you and they service some of the most remote areas in the Northern Territory. Find out more at cdu.edu.au. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. It really helps other people find our podcast. You can find our website at centralstation.net.au where we have over 1,200 stories published from across Northern Australia. All of our podcast episodes, a tourism directory for visiting an outback cattle station, and training and employment resources. We're on Facebook at Central Station True Stories from Outback Australian Cattle Stations, and we're on Instagram at centralstation.net.au 
And we're also on Twitter at Central Station 6. To discuss this episode with other listeners, head on over to our Facebook group, Central Station Podcast.